it's really good to have you with us this morning. Uh, let me be the first to uh, wish you a happy Valentine's Day, as that is, this is the week for it. And uh, this morning, we're going to be addressing your heart. Before I talk to you about your heart, however, I want to share with you a life, the life of King David. Last week, we talked about how to trust God and obey God during times of crisis. This morning, we're going to be talking about how to trust God when things are great. And we get that picture in the life of David. Saul was the people's choice. And we saw that when they demanded a king and they wanted to find him their way. And God gave them what they wanted. He gave them Saul. And uh, Saul had no heart for the Lord. David was God's choice. And God selected him. When he was anointed by Samuel in 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his outward appearance or on on his height or stature. Because I've rejected that. The Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God is stubbornly committed to our hearts. He targets us. And we can fool everyone around us by the externals, but God knows the internals. And he's committed to that. When you focus and you build the internals, which you're here to do... When we go to God's word, we focus on our hearts. Well, David was a man after God's own heart. He was God's choice. And he's called and anointed when he's about 16 or 17 years of age, when he was out tending the sheep of his father's flocks. And he's anointed by Samuel, kind of the unlikely choice. But God was committed to the heart. And he saw in a shepherd boy the potential for a king. Once he's anointed, he has to wait on God's timing through a very perilous time. He, um, he gets, we enter into the scene later on when, when the Philistine giant named Goliath is taunting the children of Israel and David shows up and, and actually, you know, convinces Saul to go out there and he literally slays the giant. And Saul saw the political move he could make by having such a guy who rose to popularity like David. He puts him next to him and he walks into cities and he hears this chant. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his tens of thousands. And folks, when you're an insecure leader and someone under you is getting praise, well, it, it, it ends up in jealousy and resentment and ultimately rejection of this person and with, with Saul with an evil heart. He sought to destroy David. David literally flees for his life, yet he guards his heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. And David recorded the springs of life when God was working on his heart in the wilderness as he fled and sought refuge in the caves and, and, and poured out his heart in what we now have as the book of Psalms. That's the heart of David. His own little journal we have through a very perilous time in his life. After Saul and Jonathan, his son, die, David rises and takes the throne. Now think about this. You are anointed at around 16. You take the throne at 30. That's 14 years. What were you doing 14 years ago? 1999. Do you remember remember that? Not many of us remember. I had a lot more hair back then. But 14 years to wait 
on the promise of God. That was the life of David. And he takes, once he takes the throne though, he takes Israel to its highest heights ever, never before attained. His leadership is marked by four accomplishments. And we actually can go there. Each chapter uh, kind of gives us. So turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Second chapter, 2 Samuel chapter 7, beginning with verse 16. First thing of his accomplishment was God's eternal blessing. The Lord gave him long-term blessing. Look at what it says. God's promise to David and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. And that's really interesting, isn't it? Because he was given that promise. And today, of course, we can look hindsight is 2020 and we can see how God established a promise, a promise from Abraham to Isaac, to Jacob, to Joseph, to Moses, to Joshua. And now we have David and and you have a guy who God ultimately would bring the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, through his lineage. He would come from the tribe of David. Long term blessing. God also gave David victory over his enemies. Flip over to the next chapter, Second cha- Second Samuel chapter 8. He put garrisons in Edom, verse 14 says. Throughout all Edom, he put garrisons. And all the Edomites became David's servants. And look at this statement that it says about David. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. He was a winner. He was receiving the praise and adoration of all the people, not only with God, because God was with him wherever he went, but with man. Men praised him and honored his role. He took, through his victories, he took the kingdom of Israel from about 6,000 square miles to 60,000 square miles. Folks, when things, you know, when, when things go tenfold under your leadership, you're going to receive praise. And that was David's accomplishment. He also had resolution from conflict. One of Saul's sons named Mephibosheth, and I don't believe any of you are named that. And if you are pregnant right now, don't even go there. But he was a a son of Saul who could not walk. He had a holdout attitude towards David when he took the throne. And it was very typical in that day, even today, in, in countries that are developing for when a new regime comes to power, that they destroy the older regime. They kill. They kill the family members just to, so that there's no more co- competition. But David wasn't insecure. He was secure in God. And he was compassionate to Mephibosheth. In Second Samuel, turn the chapter, chapter 9, verse 7, it says this. David said to him, do not fear, for I will show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. It wasn't just, hey, I'm not going to kill you. It just wasn't, you can have this property and live in exile. It's, you're in the inner circle. You're with me. You're part of my family. Your family is now my family. Because of his compassion, resolution of all conflict, peace was in the land. And then finally, there was world respect. 
See, Syria was a major power of the world. And in 2 Samuel 10, it records a battle in which the victory was so overwhelming that it put last week's Super Bowl to shame. It says this in verse 18. It says, and the Syrians fled before Israel. Later on, it continues and says, they made peace with Israel and became subject to them. So they were afraid to save the Ammonites anymore. See, dictators respect power. And David was a powerful leader. He took out the boundaries 60,000 square miles and received the respect of the world at that time. You see, this type of accomplishment is on most of our to-do lists. It's what many of us would love to have in our lives. We'd love to have the long-term blessing of God, wouldn't we? We'd love to have a great life and a satisfying job where everything we kind of put our hands to turns out like pristine and our, we're getting the raise and we're getting the promotion and we're getting the respect. We like little confrontation. We don't like conflict. How many of us, well, I won't ask for the hands. How many of us love conflict? We don't. We love to live in peace and we love respect. As I talk with men, that's one of our key desires is to be respected, be respected by our wives, be respected by our family, be respected at our jobs, be respected at our friends. You see, his life is successful and it's successful with God and with man. And in Psalm 78, verses 70 through 72, it speaks of God's work through him. Look at what it says. On the commentary, it says, He chose David, God chose David his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. And look at the commentary it says about his heart, because that's what God's focused on. He says, With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them, With his skillful hand. Look at what's highlighted there. David's heart. We can just back away from David's accomplishments. And we can kind of make some, you know, overarching summary statement about David's heart. We'd have to say, David had a faithful and responsive heart. David was faithful to God. He literally had no other gods before him all his life faithfulness and he was responsive that meant when god called him to do something or not do something in god's timing david was responsive he wasn't passive he hung on to god's word and followed it immediately there was very little distance between god's word and david's obedience faithful and responsive think about this You bring these two practices into any relationship and there's going to be success. You bring them into your marriage, faithfulness. We demand faithfulness in marriage. We don't want 362 days of faithfulness in a year. We want the full year. And when your heart is faithful in any relationship, God's going to bless that. And when you're responsive, when you listen to someone, when you move your eyes off of a screen and into the eyes of someone to listen and give them the honor and affirm them and encourage them, your relationships, love is just going to bloom in those types of relationships. That was David's heart. And it was his heart with God and with man. Let's look at David's... uh, Something happens, though, 
in this unprecedented success comes a subtle hardening of David's heart. We find that in 2 Samuel chapter, uh, chapter 11. Have you ever seen or owned a stock that had a chart that looks like this? You see, in investing, you kind of want to look at that and go, should have sold, should have sold at the summit, but instead it crashes. This is a fear for investors. It's a fear for leaders. Whether we lead with attendance or with sales or subscriptions or income or attitudes, we fear a chart that looks like that. Yet as the scriptures record David's life, what happens at the pinnacle of his success determines everything else that happened in the history of Israel. There was a lapse. And we asked that question, why did this happen? How did this happen? And, and 2 Samuel chapter 11 kind of gives us that picture. Let me paraphrase it for you. It was the spring when kings go out to battle. And David, instead of going out to battle, he goes and stays home. And when he stayed at home, he had a bunch of time to sit up on his rooftop and enjoy being king and start rooftop surfing. And it doesn't take long when you look at the, when you start doing something like that, that you end up looking at the wrong thing. That appears very right. He saw a woman bathing. She was a beautiful woman. Her name was Bathsheba. And so as he saw her, he was attracted to her and he inquired about her. Finds out from his servants, the lowest form of his authority, said, isn't that Uriah's wife? Bathsheba. And by the way, Uriah was one of his mighty men. He was a great warrior. He was loyal and he was faithful and he was a friend. For some reason, David bursts through this resistance and inquires some more. And then instead of inquiring, insists that she be brought to him. They oblige and he sleeps with her and he commits adultery. There's a problem that arises after he did that, and that she sends word to him that she's pregnant. Here's the other problem. Uriah is a man of honor and of valor, of courage and loyalty. David thinks, and to cover his tracks, he says, let's bring him back home. Every guy home from battle wants to be with his wife. So we'll bring him back. We'll have a little parade for him and we'll present him back to his wife. They'll celebrate their reunion. She'll be pregnant and everyone will say... It's their child. So he does. Uriah comes back. Being a man of honor and valor, he refuses to go and be with his wife. He says, as long as our troops are out on the field, I'm not going to celebrate with my wife. David has that problem. The loyal man would not go. So he devises another solution. Let's get him drunk. Because when he's drunk, even he will forget what he did On that night, he gets him drunk and he finds out that Uriah continued to stay close to David and did not go to be with his wife. So David, probably frustrated and angry that he can't cover his tracks, sends him back to the front with a death letter that says this, Joab, remember the time we made a mistake and we got too close to the city walls and women dropped rocks off that wall and killed some of us. Well, 
I want you to do that again, but do it with, do it with Uriah. Send him to the front, withdraw, and let him be killed. And by the way, I hold you no responsibility for this. This is all on me. Go and do that. Joab gets the letter and literally sends Uriah to be killed. Here's the problem. He's got murder on his hands. So his solution is very with false honor and false humility. It was honorable for the king to take the wife of his warriors who died in battle, defending his kingdom into their household. So David does that with Bathsheba. And he passes it off to the world as, look what kind of compassionate, caring man I am. That I would take someone's wife who is destitute now and without income, and she is now into my... That's the right thing to do, isn't it? Well, it was right in the eyes of David, and it was right in the eyes of people. And he was praised because of it, but it was very wrong with the eyes of God. Remember, God is stubbornly committed to our hearts. He does not look on outward appearances. God looks on the heart. This teaches us a lot about deception and lies. It teaches us how a heart lapses. And so God... God sees this and he called a prophet named Nathan with eyes and ears to the Lord. And he went to David and confronted him. And he does such a masterful job in 2 Samuel chapter 12 that after reading this and seeing this over and over in my life, I named my third child after him because I want my Nathan to confront our world that's broken and evil with the same love and yet the same truth as the prophet Nathan. Nathan appealed to the heart of David. And he said this, David, I need you to judge on this matter. There's two men. One's rich and one was poor. The one who was rich had many flocks, loads of sheep. The one who was poor had one lamb. And he raised that lamb like a child, like it was his daughter. And he cared for that lamb. When the rich man had a visitor come and visit him, instead of drawing from all his flocks, he went to the poor man and he took the only lamb he had and he slaughtered it and he fed it to his friends. David couldn't even contain himself. He goes, stop, stop. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He will pay four times the penalty for this. Four times. And this is what Nathan says. We pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 7. Would you read it with me? It says this. David said, uh, Nathan said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and you have taken his wife to be your wife and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Folks, this is a big, colossal, historic thud. When you see that, you kind of have to kind of pull back from the scriptures and ask, how did this happen? Israel's stock plummets. 
what, what resulted from this was a divided family and therefore a divided kingdom, subdivided ultimately by nations all around them. This is a historical spark that explodes on and implodes Israel. And it all has to do with the heart. It shows us that there are ramifications when we don't guard and feed and submit our heart faithfully and responsively to the word of God. How did this happen with David? Well, I see his lapse having many reasons here, but the first one is this. He first got distracted from God's calling. Look at how Nathan corrects him. He says, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel. It was David's calling to be a king. And his lapse in focus happens when instead of going to battle, instead of being that king and living as a king, he lived as a playboy up on a rooftop and started surfing rooftops. And it doesn't matter what you're surfing, whether it's a rooftop, a channel or an, or a website, sooner or later, your eyes are going to fall on the thing that's not your anointing, things that aren't your calling. And you're going to compromise because you're distracted And there can be a lapse in focus in all of us. Some things are meaningless and useless things that really have no ultimate purpose, but they occupy so much of our time and so much of our energy. Other things are good things, really good things, but they've become God things that we've taken on and that's become our calling rather than a faithful and responsive heart towards God. Others of us, it's the acceptance of of people, acceptance of a man or acceptance of a woman in your life, rather than the acceptance and the approval of God. Whatever it is, we can get distracted from God's calling. David was distracted. It was only a matter of time. Before then, he discounted God's deliverance. See, not only did Nathan say, this is what God says, it was I who appointed you, but he also said, and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. And you know what? If you trace God's deliverance to the life of David, certainly it was a definitive moment and a definitive period in his life when he literally was saved from Saul's pursuit of his life through armies and the greatest of technology that Israel had to seek him out and find him. But there was a rich history of God protecting David as a shepherd boy, of God delivering Goliath into his hands. It was God. Who did this? It was a pattern of deliverance. You know what? We still have that deliverance of God in our lives. Through Jesus Christ, all of us have been saved by grace. We've been saved from the wrath of God, the hand of God. We've been saved into a family. We've been saved out of our sin. And all of this is something that we should never move beyond the wonder of grace. And sometimes suddenly when we learn one more thing about God or we grow in our depth in our relationship with God, we start to compare ourselves with all the other not so great Christians. And we can discount that none of us deserve this. And you can start subtly believing in your walk with Christ that God owes it to you. That there's all those other people, but I'm a man of God. I have a heart for God. There's all those other people who are around me. They make me uncomfortable. Man, all the compromise in there. But look at me. 
and we discount God's grace. Folks, the ground is level at the cross. None of us deserve this. And we're not in because of anything we do, anything we know that's any better, or anything we say or act. We're in because of the completed work of Jesus Christ. Don't ever discount that. In your growth, celebrate growth with the Lord, but don't discount grace. He was also discontent with God's provision. Look at verse 8 of 2 Samuel 12. Because God said to him, I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms and gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this were too little, this is the one I I underline. I would add to you as much more. Look at what God gave him. He gave him his house, his possessions, his wives, a unified nation. And if he wouldn't have only asked, I would have given you so much more. See, that's our problem. It's a lapse of heart where we expect and therefore ask too little from God. When we go through a time of success, we just say, God, keep it this way. We don't have a vision for anything beyond that. And don't mess this up. As long as you know, keep me healthy, because I want my life to keep going like this and And we expect too little. We don't go, and now, God, I give it all to you. Help me to do better things and greater things. With you at my side, we settle. And we settle for our little silo when the offer of God's storehouse is made for us. And therefore, when we become discontent with God's provisions, when we become discontent, look out. It's just a matter of time before it starts to erode and And kind of eat like a cancer in our hearts. And it results us in kind of the image that I have in mind is is we start hotwiring 1979 Ford Pintos when God has a Porsche in our garage for us. We settle for far less. Discontent will harden your heart. Folks, we live in an age right now where we've never been entrusted with more. Never. More technology, more information, more resources, more options to purchase and to make your life more comfortable and easy and quote-unquote content. It's discontent is the motivator that moves the marketing system in, in the world. And yet, we've never been more discontent. I, I hear it from Christians and non-Christians. I got this new little gadget, this nice little band-aid, but sooner or later, it just becomes another piece of bait that we chase after. Folks, it's got to be more than things. It's got to be about Christ. Finally, it resulted him to despise the word of the Lord. That's what Nathan says is, why have you despised the word of the Lord? I just went through here and just looked at in one chapter, 2 Samuel 11, the word of the Lord was despised. The word of the Lord said, you shall not murder. Uriah was murdered by David. The word of the Lord said, you shall not commit adultery. Enter Bathsheba. In the words of Jesus, even before that, lusting after her in his heart. The word of the Lord said, you shall not steal. Bathsheba was another man's wife, never was part of God's provision for David. The word of the Lord said, you shall not bear false witness. David sent a death letter with Joab. Let's pass it out, make it look good. The word of the Lord says, you shall not covet. Mainly bought in there to build contentment 
and to help us celebrate when someone else gets something or has something we don't have. And yet, the, man, the woman who is not his own, but another man's wife, Bathsheba, was the one he coveted. From the lowest authority of servants saying, isn't this Uriah the Hittite's wife? To the highest level of the word of God, he despised it. And so do we, when we crash through the layers that God has provided for all of us, that leads to life-giving reproof and correction when we're starting to believe the lies about ourselves. See, it only was a matter of time. Then what had happened in his heart became something he operated with his hands. The last thing he did is he did what was evil. Why did you despise the word of the Lord and do what is evil in his sight? You've struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You've taken his wife to be your wife. And you have killed him with the, word, with the sword of the Ammonites. Folks, distraction, discounting. Discontent, despise. Evil is as evil does. He experienced in his own life with his heart that was faithful and responsive, the dream of God's blessing. And now we see in just a little bit of time, we see him at the bottom of the crash, a nightmare, a nightmare. He never imagined he would be there. A man after God's own heart, a man under God's correction. Never imagined he would be there, and neither do we, because we tend to believe in success, whether it's wealth or position or influence, that the rules that apply to everyone else don't apply to us anymore. And God says, no. See, your position doesn't matter to God. Your wealth doesn't, because he focuses on your heart. Everything else follows that heart. Greater men and greater women of God have fallen. We see that in the scriptures. And if you just share the history of what you observe in in the world today, greater people have fallen. And they fall when they don't keep it simple. Around a faithful and responsive heart. Two hearts were shown in these passages. The heart uh, that is faithful and responsive or the heart that's passive and deceitful. And we can look at this and go, oh, that'll never be me. I'll never be passive and deceitful with the Lord. God knows my heart. I I know my heart. Or you can look at this humbly and say, except for the grace of God, that's where I'd be. And that's our legacy that we leave. It was a legacy that David would leave. It's a legacy that calls us back to the heart that God is focused on. A faithful and responsive heart. Timing of this message today is matches pretty much the timing of where your heart is. And that's why if your heart is at the top of the chart, I would simply say, return the glory back to God. Keep it simple. Keep your heart faithful and responsive to the Lord. Never believe the lie that all you have and all you are is because of your own doing. And keep worshiping God with a faithful and responsive heart. Remember where you were when he found you. Remember what he's done in your life and celebrate his faithfulness. If your heart is dropped off the top, well, return to the foundation of Christ. Confess and turn back. I believe that God's brought you here to be confronted by this story. That if you have lapsed, it's never too late. 
It's never too late to stop and return back to God. And if you've crashed, well, from the highest point to the lowest point, you still have God in your life, committed to your heart. Repent, return. Follow David even in this matter, which as you read in your journal this morning, Psalm 51, in which he literally says, God created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a, a right spirit within me. See, that's what God calls all of us who've crashed with our hearts. And we're called back into his story through this story. Where's your heart this morning? Let's pray for a faithful and responsive heart. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your love for us, for your heart for us that's changed our heart for you. And wherever we are, that would match the life of David. May we all turn to you. Return the glory that is rightfully given to you through our lives. Return to our foundation of Jesus and repent and follow you with a faithful and responsive heart. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.